0: This morning's scripture reading is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 2, verses 22 to 38. You can find this on page 732 if you're using one of the Bibles we've provided in the chair pockets or at the end of your aisles. Again, Luke 2, 22 to 38. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And he came in in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. And for my eyes you have have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marvelled at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, behold this child is appointed for fall for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that so that thoughts for, from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of a tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was eighty-four. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak to him of all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is God's word.
1: These are a few Christmas sceneries from home homes of sunrisers, and these are the kinds of images that I thought of and have seen in some of their homes that bring up the sort of warmest and and dare I say fuzziest of feelings when we get to walk in the door after a long day of December or or we 've just had a long day in our house watching our kids and we the whole family is around Christmas trees, lights, things of these na- this nature uh, in Cayman of course, there are some amazing Christmas traditions, like the tradition of backing sand into the yard, which I haven't seen really actually happen and take place. It seems like it's been replaced by a a jaunt out to the home of the Bond sisters or the Crichton home to to behold the spectacle of an $8,000 light bill right before your eyes. It's just so great to see and wonder, what must that be like to have that much money? Um, So... One of the things you can enjoy there, you know, lit up plastic Santas, those robotic Christmas carolers that you wonder one day might become sentient and attack you in your sleep, those sorts of things. And of course, a surplus of manger scenes, which are are wonderful nativity scenes. Along with uh, Christmas trees at least in Cayman, we still are blessed to get to experience manger scenes, uh, carols about baby Jesus, Christmas pageants in which Jesus is played by either a plastic baby doll or the smallest kid in the class. These are all things we get to enjoy. The Christmas story in the Gospel of Luke keeps those warm feelings flowing like a cup of hot apple cider. Mary gives birth to her firstborn, we're told in Luke chapter 2. She wraps him in swaddling clothes. And who doesn't get a warm, fuzzling feel, fuzzy feeling just at the thought of someone swaddling you? <laughs> then Jesus gets his own private baby dedication. First... A ceremony for the wife, for the mother, 40 days after giving childbirth. God's law made much about purity and hygiene because childbirth, well, wasn't so much of either. And so she would go up to Jerusalem and have a ceremony performed. It typically involved a family bringing a lamb and a turtle dove to sacrifice. But if the family wasn't particularly well off, or remember Joe and Mary, teenagers at this time, he's a carpenter, you could offer... Two pigeons or two turtle doves, which is where they come from, like the song. And, of course, that's what Joseph and Mary, as we see in our passage, do. Then we see a ceremony for the firstborn child, baby Jesus. And everyone should still be feeling that warm, fuzzy feeling. This must be just a cool moment. At this moment, a man named Simeon approaches. He's a normal guy. He's not a priest. He's not a pastor. He's not the paid guy who's supposed to be there like Brett and myself. But the Holy Spirit draws him into the temple, just shows up. He's so happy to see the baby, he holds him. and He says all kinds of wonderful, encouraging, positive things about this child. Just after that, another older grandmother type figure shows up named Anna. who is was equally exciting, saying wonderful things about this child. So at this point, the warm, it's like the needle on the fuzz-o-meter. It's like going past gingerbread cookies, teddy bears, like it should feel really good to you in Luke chapter two. And yet in our reading something may have caught your attention, something that might seem at first glance out of place and about what you may have thought, dang it, I really hope Ryan doesn't preach about this. But I have a feeling it seems so weird that he just might, and I am. (laughs) And the reason I am is because it stood out, as it stood out to you, as it stood out to Mary, as it stood out to our author, Luke because it's the key to fulfilling all the warm, fuzzy encouragements, the salvation, the glory, the consolation of Israel, the redemption of people everywhere. Let's read it again together in verses 33 through 36, just so we make sure we're on the same page here. His father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. For a sign that is opposed, and the sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Jesus' child dedication included an appointment that neither your child, yourself as a parent, this church body will have to keep because God appointed him to keep it for us. We're going to talk to them this morning about this sign. This sign to which Jesus was appointed, to which he was destined, and what it reveals. So first, the sign. What is this sign that reveals the thoughts from many hearts? I firmly believe that sign is the cross. Specifically, Jesus' substitutionary death on that cross. His willingness to say, I'll go there instead of you. When Simeon, whose whose name literally means, this is pretty cool, his name literally means sign, uses this word in verse 34. It's the same word used by Jesus when those who demanded a sign of him confront him in Matthew chapter 12. It's, it's a moment that should be in some ways common to us because who, have it, who has it among us As at some point for a sign from God? Show me you're real. Show me you love me. Show me you're there. Check this out, Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 40. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Jesus answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given it except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days, three nights in the heart of the earth. Now Jesus has given them a common story, a story everyone would know, just to get them to think. Jonah appeared to die for sin and rebellion, his own rebellion, if you remember the story, and face a burial at sea. But instead, at the last minute, gets spit up by a whale. Jesus would die for sin and rebellion of the whole world and be buried. And the last minute, gets spit up from death. And Jesus is saying, think of that story and look for this sign. Look for what will happen. That will be the sign to you that you are looking for. Everyone wants a sign from God, a sign that. He loves you. He cares for you. Let me tell you a story, a true story about a man I knew many years ago and used to work with in ministry. He, he often doubted God's love for him. And so he would ask repeatedly for a sign and usually his requests were, you know, fairly self-centered, things that would kind of benefit him as well. So he prayed first. He said, God, man, if you love me, please send me a girlfriend. If you love me, just send a girlfriend as a sign that you love me. And sure enough, within like a week, he gets a girlfriend, all right? Now, within a week and a half, she dumps him. <laughs> so that was that. And so he, he tries again. He goes to differ. I said, God, like, if, you really, if you really love me, give me a sign. Give me a job. All right, he's a teenage guy, wants a job. And he, he not only gets a job within about a week and a half, but he gets a job that he loves. He loves to do what he's doing. And sure enough, within the next month, he loses that job. And so this time, he goes to God, he says, God, I, I'm not going to be picky this time. Just give me any sign. Any sign will do. And seriously, within five days, he gets another job, a lower-paying job, with his ex-girlfriend, who talked to him. <laughs> and he goes back to me, no kidding, and he says to me, honestly, Ryan, I'm not going to pray for any more signs. <laughs> that's that's going to be the end. And I said, I said to him, Sean, good, good, because God's already sent one. The cross. The cross is God's Sign that he loves you. Let me share you how, how that's the case. Just in a few ways that it's a sign that God loves you as well. Number one, it's a legal sign that God loves you. The Bible says that God gives us one life. The totality of which we are supposed to honor and love him back. With all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. None of us do that though. We owe then a debt to God. The God who created us. Undeservingly created us. The Bible, as well as modern medicine, tell us that life is in the blood. That's why people in the Old Testament offered animal blood back to God. Because you and I owe God a life. So he gives his own to spare ours. He ultimately says, I'm going to just go ahead and, and in a final solution, I'm going to give my own to spare yours. Colossians 2, 13 through 14 puts it this way, that God made us alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. That record of debt with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So when Jesus is nailed to the cross, nailed to with him for all who would trust him, is that legal demand for debt to be paid. It's nailed there. It's done for. That means God legally loves us because of the cross. All who trust Jesus need not wonder based on ups and downs of their lives. Is this another sign? Things are going down for me. Things are going downhill. Circumstances are bad. Is this another sign? God, that you're not with me. You don't love me. No. His love is cosmic law because of the cross. You can never rack up any more debt towards him because Jesus took it all upon himself at the cross. But the cross is also a physical sign that he loves you. Just thinking on Jesus' destiny as an adult caused him to sweat blood in a rare but recognized medical condition called hematohydrosis. Jesus would sweat blood just thinking about going to it, going to the cross. Spat on, mocked for his grand claims, blindfolded, scourged. A whip with numerous two-foot-long leather thongs with bits of metal, bone, and glass embedded into the leather He was hit, whipped with this, 40 times, minus one, as a show of mercy. The cross itself was up to 100 pounds, and the person was affixed to it by seven to nine inch nails through the largest hand, sorry, the largest nerve in the hand, the median nerve. The feet were nailed in such a way to keep the knees flexed at about a 45 degree angle, and the only way to breathe was to push up your legs. So you could stay alive until your legs just got fully tired. Vicious cycles of increasing oxygen demand, coupled with an increasing heart rate would come to be such that the victim dies either of suffocation or a cardiac rupture. And so it could be accurately said that Jesus literally died of a broken heart so you wouldn't have to. That's how much he loved you. It's also a spiritual sign. And this is the biggest of all. Many of you may have seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson's film, which chronicled the final 12 hours of Christ's earthly life. And even if you were like me, you you saw it, and maybe you probably saw it once like me because of the intense, sorrowful effect it had. I've not actually watched it since. Even while I wept profusely, before and after, I always felt something was missing from it. Like there was something about what Jesus did that wasn't really chronicled just through his physical death. And I finally figured it out. Uh, The physical suffering was indeed incredibly intense, but nothing compared to his father, both turning his back on him due to the sin of the world that was upon him and unleashing God's holy judgment on Jesus so he wouldn't have to unleash it on us. That's what Jesus experienced on the cross, the weight of the sin of the world, being forsaken by your dad, the wrath of God imposed upon him certainly more unbearable than even the physical sufferings. I remember first kind of understanding the extent of this kind of love for us, this kind of what Jesus went through for us, spiritually for us, hearing a theologian named R.C. Sproul saying this. Thousands of people died on crosses and others have had even more painful, excruciating deaths than that. But only one received the full measure of the curse of God while on the cross. And because of that, I wonder whether Jesus was even aware of the nails and the thorns. That's how bad it was. On the cross, he was in hell, in hell, totally bereft of the grace and presence of God. He became a curse for us, so one day we might be able to see the face of God. Amazing. We don't see it, but that's what's going on behind the scenes, the most intense suffering, the greatest sign, the greatest sacrifice of all. That God loves us. Whether by preaching, by preaching, Reading, art, song, conversation. The cross has, it's a sign he loves us. And it also has a very practical effect. It reveals the thoughts from many hearts. Most of which, as Simon prophesies, as we read, are opposed to the idea of God dying in our place. Most are just saying no, no, no to that. Let me give you a few examples. Mahatma Gandhi. Everyone loves the Mahatma, right? He said this, I could accept Jesus as a martyr, the embodiment of sacrifice, a divine teacher, even his death on the cross as a great example to the world, but that there was something mysterious or miraculous in it, that my heart cannot accept. Stephen King, author of such books, I'm sure you love them, as The Shining. Cujo and Pet Cemetery. He believes that the crucifixion is twisted. I hope you got the irony of that, by the way. He explains I'm not a vampire type, but when someone shows me the cross, I just get the creeps. I can't stay around it. Apparently, even some, some apparent Christians, you know, like Brian McLaren, oppose the cross, calling themselves a Christian. But looking at what God, putting himself on the cross in our place, he calls it divine child abuse. How would a father do that to their son? So I've given you a moral person, a gory person, even a religious person. People oppose the cross. Why would so many people oppose God's surest sign that he loves you, that he cares for you, that he wants to be in your life? Because it's too extreme. Not in what God not what it says about God's love, but what it says about us. It's too extreme. What it says about us, that we are both wrong and helpless. Wrong and helpless. So we humans may admit one of these things, but rarely both. For example, I might be wrong, and I am often wrong. I might have grossly misjudged. I might have shortcomings, but I can overcome them by, with hard work, discipline, ingenuity, love, charity, and other miscellaneous contributions that I can make to society, my workplace, my home, even my church. So I may be wrong, but I'm not helpless. One of the reasons we still have, by the way, and read the majority of the Bible called the Old Testament, is that it's thousands of years of evidence of rich people, poor people, foreign people, national people, Good guys and bad guys. People from different careers and callings and socioeconomic backgrounds, none of whom can overcome their wrongdoings and shortcomings on their own. Try as they might, at best they cast themselves on God's mercy. That's a big reason why this is all here and worth reading. We see fail, 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 fail. It's as if God is saying, I didn't want to bring Jesus yet just to show you how hard this is. It's not just like your era thing. It's not just an our generation thing. And yet people will still say, well, I might be wrong. but I'm not helpless. Or they might admit that they need help. But as a righteous sufferer, right, an innocent victim, a product of an unjust society. And so I will admit that I need help, but you have to admit that I kind of deserve it. Jesus Christ crucified is God's way. It's God's way to know him forever, God's way to access this love, and it involves the uncomfortable spectacle of God shedding blood for the uncomfortable truth that I'm both wrong and helpless. So what makes, then, Simeon and Anna so different? And and knowing that might clue us into how our response might be different, might not be opposition to the cross. Quite simply, their response was different because, for them, God's way was enough. Jesus is enough. Simeon waited his whole life for God to bring a solution to the problem of Israel, being both wrong and helpless. Holy Spirit grants him this desire to see that solution, so he arrives at the Nicanor Gate just at the right time, past the court of Gentiles, looking at this, watching the ceremony of this baby boy. After beholding Jesus, He says, I can depart in peace. The prophetess Anna, Luke gives us this detail that she's either 84 years old or some commentators think she lived 84 years as a widow. So it would have been actually she's much older, maybe even 100 years old. Either way, she's lived at this point, get hold of this, three times, three times the average life expectancy of a Jewish woman in the first century of Palestine. Three times the average life expectancy. It's amazing. I think Luke adds this detail of Anna's age for a reason. Combined with Simeon's departing in peace, they would both soon die after meeting Jesus. And that meeting with Jesus, though utterly worth it, their whole lives were lived. But this is the climactic moment, the crescendo of everything they've lived and stood for. This is it. They didn't need to add anything else to their lives. They didn't need to go home and tell other people. They need to make other contributions to society. Do you need to add anything to just seeing this boy? Jesus, God's way was enough. And it would be easy to miss Simeon's expression of this, of his satisfaction in God's way of working salvation, when he says in verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared. It's your way of doing it, God. And it is marvelous in my eyes. Simeon is saying. Guys, Jesus Christ crucified is the sign God has prepared for our eyes to be certain of his love for us. So let's start to kind of drill down a little bit and apply this for, to our own lives. First would be a question, will you rise or will you fall? The text gives us this idea, right? Many will rise or fall based on this little boy and him crucified. Will you fall or rise? It's interesting that Simeon doesn't talk about the cross so much changing our hearts as he does revealing our hearts the cross reveals our hearts so if you know deep down that you are wrong that you've lived life your way instead of God's and helpless that you need more than just a little church and a little religion to add to your already pretty good life to be accepted by God to be right with him then friends you are ready to rise with Jesus though if you insist on your own form of salvation you're wrong but you know what, I can, I, can, I can overcome that. You're helpless, but, you know, through enough discipline, through enough work in my own life, can make it better. Or you're helpless and you feel like, well, yeah, I'm helpless, but I'm a righteous victim. I'm an innocent victim. And you'll continue to fall against the message of the cross. You'll continue to butt against it over and over. Even now, you'll think to yourself, man, I wish he would just stop talking about the cross. And you'll even start to despise it in your own heart. Katie recently, um, my wife Katie, recently purchased a few potted plants to hang on the sort of uh, the rafters of our, our home. But we don't have yet have the hooks to hang them on. And I'm like barely a husband, so I wouldn't even drill them in probably yet anyway. So in order for the plants to receive the water they would need, she sort of put most of them a few feet from our porch, right? Kind of get some rain. It's been really rainy lately. I was walking along the porch, kind of a section of reports I don't really look at much, and I saw this, this potted plant, you know, hanging on the railing, on a place where it would never get water. I happened to have like a Nalgene in my hand, one of those Nalgene bottles. And I thought to myself, you know, maybe I should, uh, maybe I should water this plant. It's probably been here for weeks, this sort of thing. Now, if I try to water it when it's thirsty, when it needs it, when it's dry and ready, right, it will live and flourish do well. If I try to water it when it's full, already saturated with some other water, I'll harm it, drown it, even, even kill it. Same water, same antidote in both cases, but different soils will yield different responses. There's no way for me to tell. It's the same water. See, guys, it's the same cross, but it will yield different results. Your heart may not be ready. It's saturated with other water. You cling to other ways of justifying your life. be it Being a good person, being a good enough dad, at least I'm there to support. Through charity, through doing enough good things to outweigh the bad, whatever your form of salvation might be. If your heart is thirsty, you know it's dry, you know it's ready, I want to encourage you, friends, to accept that God's way is enough. That's why Jesus died for you. You can even accept that this morning for yourself and know him for the rest of your life and in eternity. The cross applied not only displays your thoughts, but also the thoughts of others as well. So another way to apply the cross is to conversations. Have you ever sat back and thought, Man, I just wish I knew what that person was thinking. Some of you have family in town, and you rarely talk to your family about really anything substantial. Don't, don't elbow the person next to you, all right? <laughs> don't do any of that. It's not time to get like that. But you wonder, I wonder what she's thinking. I wonder what he's thinking, because I love this person. I care about them. Let me tell you, one way to know what they're thinking is to make much of the cross. Talk about the cross. Talk about Jesus' death on your behalf. Bring it up. Might it get awkward? Yes. Might it get difficult to talk about? Might there be some long pauses? Yes, but at least you're going to start to discover what's really going on in the hearts of those you love. Let me talk about one other way to apply this. Apply the cross to kill self-reliance. To kill self-reliance. This week I tried getting, sometimes dragging myself before the cross every day. What do you mean by that, Ryan? Well, I got in Mark 14 and 15, the, the cross narrative. Mark chapter 14 and 15 that talks all about the cross, all about what Jesus endured. I tried to get before the cross through song, through artwork that many have done over the years, meditating on that. I even found a nail on our property, and I just felt the tip of that nail, remembering that such were nailed into the arms and legs of Jesus, remembering what he's done for us. And as I did so, I realized how reliant I still am on my own goodness, my own works, and my own badness, which drive me up and down in life, when there's one who's far greater who hung on that cross, whose life was far better, who gave me a superior standing before God. I could be sure in trusting him that God loves me forever. My worry for many of us, including myself, is that the cross is merely just doctrine. It's just belief. It's just up in the head, but not down in the heart. Something you agree when someone brings it up, yeah, that happened. You nod your head, yeah, yeah, the cross, that matters when someone's preaching about it. Or you wear a miniature gold one around your neck just to show everyone else that it's real. C.S. Lewis uses the analogy that our doctrine and beliefs are like the map of a country. Some of us study a map. You might be a cartographer. I don't know. But you study a map, and you can tell others about the location of an important building or an important road. But you've never actually been to the place. You've never actually gone. So you never mistake, right? You never mistake one of those cheap maps that you get at Hertz or Budget Rent-A-Car or something like that. You never mistake the map for the feeling of the warm blue waters of Smith Cope lapping on your feet, right? You never mistake a map for the cool breeze that comes off North Sound when you're in Kaibo or somewhere else or or the taste of the food at your favorite restaurant here on this island because there's so many good ones. You never do that. Now listen, you need a map to get to those places or at least a working knowledge of Roundabouts and jerk chicken shanties, all right, when you're here in Cayman, because oftentimes you won't get a street out of anyone when you're looking for directions. <laughs> now, I know some of you want to let go of the map entirely. Empty your mind, let go. The old phrase, let go and let God. Don't do that. You too easily risk getting lost. Don't let go of this map. You might end up in hell. Do I mean the literal hell, do I mean the one in West Bay? <laughs> I'll just leave you on that cliffhanger. Hold on to the map, but not like a tourist who too long pours over in the comfort of their air-conditioned condo. Use it to intimately experience the cross of Jesus Christ, where God experienced real hell so you and I would never have to. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that even at Jesus' child dedication, you reminded Jesus' parents and Simeon and Anna, of this billion years old plan about the cross, your surest sign that you love us and accept forever those who would trust in your son. God, I know that requires, when people have the cross impressed upon their heart, it requires us being maybe more honest with ourselves than we've ever been in our entire lives to admit, God, I see it. I see it now. I am both wrong and helpless and I need your way of help. I've tried all the other ways, like 31 flavors of baskin ramas. I've pl- tried every other way to make myself right with you, to get my life on track, to give myself an eternal peace, which every person longs for, but it has not worked. Friends, I know such a person, God, is ready to receive. They're thirsty. They're dry. They're ready to receive Jesus Christ crucified in their lives. And I pray even now, that there's some here that would. For those of us, Father, who talk a good game when it comes to Jesus and the cross, or we we wear one around our neck, or we kind of nodded it on Good Friday and Easter and at other times in our lives, but we don't really know it deep down, I pray that we would drag ourselves for the cross every day of our lives, reading the cross narrative in places like Mark 14 and 15, just listening to songs about the cross, looking at images of the cross, just different ways of putting ourselves and remembering what you've done on our behalf to kill that self-reliance, to kill that I can do it on my own, I don't need anyone else's help, and that we would reach out and depend more on you in our lives. Help it not just be a map, Lord, but a destination we go to every day, the cross of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.